1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 192 of Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm your host, George Redis. I want to have that all opinions expressed in this show are my own and not my present or past employers. I would never disclose any sensitive intelligence that I've been privileged to as a result of my current employment. And I would never knowingly disclose any classified information related to any security clearances I presently hold or have held in the past with the United States government. And nothing I say during this show should be construed as legal or financial advice. Before we get started, i remind our listeners that you can go online to the Cybersecurity Hub and read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at the very cool website, www.cshub.com. The Cybersecurity Hub is an online news source for global cybersecurity professionals and business leaders who leverage technology and services to secure their networks. The media professionals at the Cybersecurity Hub are dedicated to providing the latest industry news, thought leadership, and analysis in the cybersecurity space. So again, to check out a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news, go to the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. So yeah, man, it's been a minute. Um, even though I'm kind of feeling a little bit under the weather today, uh, it's really good to be back in the driver's seat. I can tell you that. A uh, big shout out to my co-host and business partner, Andy Vanillo. For rocking the TF7 mic, I couldn't ask for a better business partner, guys. I mean, he's just awesome. Everybody loves Andy. Everyone loves his shows. And he just makes it look so easy here on the radio. So it's, you know, couldn't ask for a better co-host, I can tell you that. Um, I'm super stoked about the future of Task Force 7. And, uh, you know, so much going on. There's so many things going on. Um, TF7 radio is obviously doing extremely well thanks to all of you loyal listeners out there. Um, So, you know, thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening to us, for being so loyal to us and for sticking with us now for quite some time. I think we were like, we're in a 192nd episode, uh, which is amazing. When I think about closing in on on episode 200, it's like, wow, you know, it seems like not too long ago, I just picked up a mic and started talking and to see what would happen. And uh, you know, it's been a pretty, pretty crazy ride. I think, we were just recognized by Transmit Security, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, uh, for being one of the best cybersecurity podcasts to listen to. And look, man, I love Transmit Security. I'm a big fan of theirs. But we did not speak to them about their announcement until the day before it was made. And they notified us that, hey, look, we're going to be doing this and we're going to be recognizing you. uh, And uh, that was truly an honor, I got to tell you. I was uh, very proud of that. And because uh, I, you know, I hold them a very high regard. I think they're the they're, they're true professionals. They know what they're doing over there. And because, uh, you know, look, a lot of times in this business, you know, the fix is in, you know what I mean? <laughs> if you guys look at some of these things, I mean, you know, top five, of this top 10 of that I mean, I see these cybersecurity podcasts being recognized for being like, you know, oh, this is the top 25, you know, best podcasts in the world. And then when I go look at their podcast library, they haven't posted an episode in four months. You know, how like, well, what the hell is this? With these shit, Right. So, but I can assure you that th- this is not the case here. And we very much appreciate the recognition. So, big thank you to Transmit Security. Uh, I love you guys, man. Thank you. So, also, though, I want to mention also that I, th- I think it was player.fm, if I remember correctly. Sometimes I get all these mediums mixed up because there's quite a few of them now. They recently recognized us for, for being in the top 5% of all podcasts worldwide worldwide. So that's any type of podcast. This is not, a, it's just a cybersecurity podcast. Right. And when I think when I looked at, you know, how many podcasts they were monitoring, I think it tallied up to like 2.3 million podcasts that were rolling at that time. So, you know, that's pretty incredible, great stuff. Um, so thank you so much. Uh, you know, obviously couldn't do it without all of you listening to us. And, uh, you know, I appreciate you so much, especially all of you down in Dallas area, you know, Keeping Task Force Seven going, man. Thank you. Um, so, ts Seven Radio. I think some of you may know, uh, may not know. It's it's its own company, uh, and it's owned by TF Seven Technologies, uh, which is really striving to build a vertical network for cybersecurity professionals. And we're doing a lot of posturing. You know, we're we're trying to make sure we're successful. You know, when we, if we launch, we want to make sure that you know we're going to win. You know, and we're going to do. Um, the, the industry a uh, solid by bringing people together to solve really big problems. So, in addition to owning TF7 Radio in our entire audience reach that we have here, uh, TF7 Technologies also owns numerous TF7 groups across various social media platforms. And this doesn't include a uh, 134,000 member TF7 group on Facebook. Um, So if you want to check that out, you can find us real easy. If you look on groups on Facebook and look look for the TF7 network group, you can see it. Um, So uh, that's pretty cool. There's some pretty interesting things going on there. So the TF7 community is growing. Uh, It's going to be an extraordinary uh, journey as, you know, we find out where this is all taking us. Um, And we continue to fight the good fight every day here. Andy just designed our first TF7 sneaker. Like, how cool is that, right? So we're just having fun with it, man. are just having fun with it. I can't wait to share it with everyone. Uh, we should be able to get it out. Uh, probably I'm hoping next week latest. Like, we should have it out. Maybe even this weekend. I don't even know. That's coming up. But um, hopefully we'll get that out. And uh, wait till you see the design, man. It's badass. It's badass. It's awesome. You're going to love it. And it's, it's a, well, they're not cheap. Uh, they're not cheap. They're custom-made Italian leather TF7 kicks, right? But, uh, you know, look, I think they're gonna run, I think they're going to run around $190. Uh, but trust me, I mean, you know, when you see them, you're going to like it. You're going to like it. They're pretty boss. And, uh, you know, it, you can get well. right now we have all this TF7 radio bling on the TF7 radio website. If you just want to go to TF7radio.com, you can see we do have some stuff up there uh, that you can buy. We got, you know, T-shirts and mugs and stuff and, uh, you know, beach towels. <laughs> so... But in the coming months, we're going to be upgrading some of our our stuff and probably our entire merchandise line, along, along with these different versions of these sneakers, right? So we're coming, you know, up with you know real cool you know themes and, and like you know blue team, red team stuff, and yeah, it's just a lot of fun, uh, and uh, it's a lot of uh, it, it's a good way to share uh, you know your identity in terms of. Uh, I guess the brand identity of the, of the community you belong to. Right. So, and that's the TF7 community and that's what we're really trying to create here. We're trying to create a community of, you know, cybersecurity professionals. So, but, uh, and I know, look, I know this probably sounds nuts too, and maybe I'm just like overexcited about it, but this box, this shoe box, I mean, it's crazy. It's, 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 it's really cool. It's really cool. I mean, I have about a ton of tons of shoe boxes because I have tons and tons of shoes and they're all piled up and, in, in, but this box, this box would stick out. This box would definitely stick out. And that design is gonna translate well into our other merchandise. It's gonna be pretty cool and awesome. So obviously you can tell I'm really all jacked up about it. Then there's some other news. I just launched Task Force 7 Security uh, with my business partner, Ariz Eisenman. So Ariz is a former officer in the Special Forces uh, for the IDF. He's a good friend of mine. He's the real deal. He's got a ton of experience in both the public and private security industries, and he started building TF Seven Security into this premier global risk mitigation firm. And we want it to be capable of implementing these bespoke uh, logical and physical uh, security solutions. You know, we want them to be tailored specifically towards our clients needs. And that's the kind of way we're kind of envisioning it. That's the way we see it. We want to bridge all of our clients logical and physical security needs with this sort of 360 degree intelligence led threat focused philosophy. And, and, you know, that's the kind of the, the way we, um, what we follow the business model we want to implement too. uh, lots of experience with that. I think it works really well, both in the public and private sectors. And we're going to do, we're going to do, uh, we're going to do corporate. We're going to do, um, uh, um, uh families, you know, uh, we're going to do families uh, uh, and we're also going to do um, government uh, uh, products and services. But, you know, Eras is running the whole thing. Uh, he's the CEO of the company, he's in charge, and uh, I'm just a founder. <laughs> so, but I'm really excited about it. You know, all kinds of things going on. You know, we're building the TF7 network. we got the TF7 radio thing going, of course, right now I told you about. We're looking forward to expanding this show to TF7 TV. Uh, when we get the video, I mean, that's going to be cool. Um, And I could see it, like I could see it being played in the socks all around the world, you know, the TF7 TV uh, all the time uh, with so many, we got so many episodes. There's so much to listen to. We have so much content at this point. And uh, like I said, we just launched TF7 security. You can go to TF7 security.com to see that. You can go to TF7 radio.com. I hear our radios and who knows might be a TF7 magazine in the future. You know, I have no, I mean, we've been tossing it around. I don't have any plans right now, but I have tossed it around a little bit. So who knows, folks, you know, stick with us. Who knows what the future will bring, man? It could be a wild ride. Um, yeah, so lots of great things. So super excited about everything that's going on. Um, so we got another great guest for you this evening. That's why you're listening to the show. Uh, so uh, Pedram Amini is going to be uh, making a return to the show uh, tonight. Uh, Pedram is currently the chief technology officer for InQuest. And before becoming the CTO at InQuest, Pedro was the founder of JumpShot, a solution for the identification and removal of deeply entrenched malware. So before JumpShot, he founded the Zero Day Initiative at Tipping Point, where the intrusion prevention system was invented. At Tipping Point, he built and managed the world's largest group of independent researchers in the cybersecurity industry, which is to date the predominant source of all Microsoft vulnerability discoveries. He has historically spent much of his time in the shoes of a reverse engineer developing automation tools and processes. He is formally presented and given training courses at Black Hat and numerous other forensic uh, or infosec uh, and forensic conferences globally. I'm gonna be asking him about that. I'm asking ask him about Black Hat, I'm sure. And then he also holds a cybersecurity degree from Tulane University and is the author of the book, Fuzzing Brute Force Vulnerability Discovery.
2: So we're super jacked
1: up to have him back tonight on the show. Petra, welcome to Task Force 7 Radio.
2: Hey, George. Good to uh, be on the show again. Thank you very much.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, uh, look, it's great to have you on. Um, You know, you're always a great guest. Uh, Everybody loves to listen to you. I get so many compliments when you're on the show. And like we were talking before the show, we were catching up and you mentioned that you're out of Black Hat this year. And, and, uh, you know, you're always presenting and doing stuff out there. What was going on out there? How was it?
2: It was interesting, but you know, even before we jump into that, I mean George, you've been busy. I gotta say, congrats on all the um the updates on Task Force Seven. And how many shows do I have to do to get a pair of those shoes? I'm I'm intrigued. do we'll get you a pair, trust me. <laughs> we'll get you a pair. You want share, a pair of
1: shoes, man? We'll get you a pair of shoes. Trust me.
2: I think I think we share the love of a good loafer.
1: <laughs> yeah, man. I love these shoes. Wait to see. And this is just the first version too, though, man. We're just, you know, we're gonna be coming out with some crazy stuff. And uh you know, we're going to have some fun with it and hopefully everybody else will too. But yeah, I can't wait.
2: That's awesome. I look Thank forward you. to it. Thank you. So, yeah, I made it out to Black Hat this year. Um, you yeah, know, I missed it last year. I've been going to this conference since, you know, early 2000s. Um, it's just a great time, you know, meeting up with colleagues, some international, you know, some from around the States. I love Las Vegas as a city, just the service and the restaurants. Um, you know, it's a great spot to wear nice shoes, George. You, know, you don't have to deal with any weather or people stepping on them um so it was an odd year though you know it's there's a COVID flare-up just a week or two before the conference so i saw a lot of folks canceling it was already kind of uh you know running on fumes like the vendor floor was unrecognizable you know maybe 20 percent 15 percent of what it was in in past years um but all in all you know it was still good felt like a little bit of a blast from the past um, you know, I, I wish, again, the COVID flare-up was just a little bit later so we could have had uh, a larger a- attendance. But, you know, in the end, we had already committed to, to hosting a party there and we had almost 300 attendees. And, uh, you know, happy to say that we haven't had a single COVID case reported. So it, it was neat. It was fun to attend.
1: That was cool, man. So it was, was everybody, like, you know, wearing masks out there? Were they taking extra precautions? Or, like, what was going on?
2: Yeah, you know, it, interestingly, Black Hat, so the hotels are, you know, they're protecting their bottom line, of course, you know, they they want to ensure the safety of their guests. You know, they had a pretty strict mask enforcement. You know, yeah. if you weren't, and I use this word, if you weren't actively eating or drinking, you had somebody from security asking you to to pull that that mask up. Uh, but Black Hat did not require any, like, proof of vaccination, whereas DEFCON did. You know, you had to show that you, you were vaccinated to attend that conference.
1: You know, that's, I don't know, it's, it's crazy out there. I see a lot of, a lot of companies, you know, requiring that. I got my own, my own feelings about that. I'm not, you know, I'm not sure how that's going to go over. I'm sure there's going to, you know, it's, there's going to be a lot of challenges in court, so we'll see how it all plays out. But I really happy to hear that, you know, that uh, you were able to get out there, that you were able to do your thing. And, uh, you know, I'm a big believer. I, I'm just not going to live my life in fear. Um, I'm hoping that, that I don't get sick. I got vaccinated. Um, so hopefully, uh, that, that, will help. And I, uh, you know, I try to be reasonable and, and take the precautions, but don't want to live in fear. You know, I don't want to stay home for, you know, years and years here. So it's, I'm glad to see that you're out there and that, uh, you were able to do some things. And you mentioned a party too. What were you guys celebrating?
2: Two points on anybody else really is what it comes down to. What were you guys celebrating out there? So, you know, this is the the two year anniversary of a open research portal that we launched uh, back in Black Hat twenty nineteen. You know, labs.inquest.net. So predominantly, we were we were celebrating that. But you know, honestly, this this um, gathering of ours has kind of become an annual thing. Um, we'll split the venue costs with one of our our partners, Exodus Intelligence, that's out of here in Austin as well. And you know, frankly, just return on investment wise, we find it's better to host a party and and. Get together with with colleagues and prospects and customers than it is to to sponsor a booth, for example, at Black Hat. So, you know, I think we'll continue doing this regardless of whether or not we're celebrating.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, look, I mean, you know, I mean, I I, I really think that it's it's good that people are you know continue to go to the conferences that we have to have some type of social gathering. Um, uh, so, did you did you present out there at all?
2: No, not this year. You know, I presented at Black Hat 2019. Um, that's when we, we launched the, this InQuest Labs, uh, but I, I didn't present uh, this year. We did make some big updates. You know, one of the, I think actually last time we spoke, uh, I, I touched on this, this project, this experiment that we're running. Uh, we call it the Tristero project. It sources data from labs and then we leverage it to test uh, the security efficacy of, of Microsoft versus Google's email security. Um, And so one of the big announcements this year was that we opened up all that data. So you can go see a graph over time and go look at samples that were able to to bypass Microsoft or Google on any given day. And, you know, these aren't samples that we made. It's just samples that we curated or harvested from from the wild. You know, we use this experiment to keep our, our tooling sharp and to know where to focus our research efforts. You know, we can't, as a 25-person startup, we're not going to be competing with, with with Microsoft and Google everywhere. We got to go focus on where they're not good at. And, and that's where our value gets gets uh, derived from.
1: Right, right. Well, man, thanks for the update. I want to focus a little bit on um, ransomware. I want to talk about ransomware because everyone's, everyone's talking about ransomware right now. And I think it's a good topic to talk about. Um, and I think a lot of people will be interested in it. You know, why do you think ransomware is so popular these days? What's, what's going on? Like, why, why is it everywhere?
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're right. You see it. Um, <laughs> can we go a week without seeing some, some major ransomware event in the news? I mean, th- the short story is be- because it works, right? If, if you look at it from right. the perspective of an attacker, right? If I, if I put myself in a bad guy's shoes, this is a direct path to monetization, Right. It's, it's a business. Right. And especially if you're living in a in a, a friendly to this kind of crime country, you know, Russia, North Korea, Iran, you know, there's either some kind of passive support where they're turning a blind eye in the case of Russia, for example. And you'll see this like hard coded in to the ransomware that comes out of um, you know, that's attributed back to Russian actors. So long as they're not infecting Russian systems, their government doesn't care. So they're operating with impunity, right? There's no risk for them. It's all reward. They just shoot out these massive, you know, they're, they're basically shotgunning out with their campaigns, opportunistically um, you know, capturing victims and then extorting them for whatever they can.
1: It is kind of ruthless though, man. It's savage, some of the things that these guys, and they're getting, some of these guys are getting tons of money. I mean, and, you know, and they're not exactly very sophisticated people. Let's put it that way, right? I mean, and so this makes sense from an attacker perspective. What about from a defender's perspective? What about the practitioners out there listening to the show right now? You know, why is ransomware so successful from that view, you think?
2: Yeah, no, good question. So, you know, the interest is there because it works from from the attacker perspective. Like, why is it working on the defensive perspective? You know, it it's hard to say with absolute certainty, right? Um, you know, one thing I can say is it's, we're not – most ransomware is not targeting individuals, you know, maybe they're targeting an industry, but they're not going after individual companies, they're basically casting a net and trying to, to, to see who falls into it. So it's very much an opportunistic style of, of attack. You know, not to say there aren't times where they're specifically targeting someone, but you know, based off of what I know, it looks like they'll be like, let's go after healthcare. And they'll start a campaign with some malware type lure to get that initial foothold um, that's you know topical to that that realm, you know. Actually, flipping back to that Tristero project, it's exactly those types of threats. You know, something like ninety five percent plus of um, attacks start over an email, and that's exactly the kind of thing that we're trying to go find. You know, what are these initial lures that these folks are sending out to get those footholds? Which one of those are working? That way, I can go focus my efforts on blocking that.
1: All right, folks, we got to transition to a commercial break here, but stick with us. Lots more to come here on this episode of Task Force 7 Radio. So, hey, if you're a social media junkie, don't forget to follow TF7 Radio on your favorite social media platform. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and even Instagram by searching at TF7 Radio, and you'll be immediately connected to the extended TF7 family. For any inquiries regarding sponsoring the show or suggestions for topics or guests, please email me directly at george at tf7radio.com that's george at tf7 that's with the number seven radio.com so we're going to pause with some quick messages folks we're going to talk to our sponsors and then we'll be right back uh, with our special guest the chief technology officer of inquest mr pedram amini whatever you do don't go away you're listening to task force seven radio the voice
3: Business email compromise is the largest
4: cybersecurity threat, making up 44% of all cybercrime losses. BEC attacks are targeted, socially engineered, text-based emails that appear to come from someone you know. Because they don't have attachments, links, or traditional indicators of compromise, they slip through email security defenses. In order to stop them, you need a solution that understands the good in order to stop the bad. Abnormal Security uses a unique behavioral data science and API-based approach to baseline good behavior and identify bad behavior. Because we understand the normal to stop the abnormal, we stop BEC account takeovers and more. You can use Abnormal with Office 365 or Google to protect your employees and organization from attacks that can cause financial and reputational damage. It's time for a new solution to email security. Experience the abnormal. Learn more now at abnormalsecurity.com TF7.
5: As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with SignEt. and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at security-innovation.org or Google Cynet, S-I-N-E-T.
6: In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management.
1: the chief technology officer for in-class, Mr. Pedram Amini. So, so yeah, we were talking about the break. We were just talking about uh, that. The, we, you know, right before we broke uh, for that first uh, segment, you know, why is it so successful and how are we, you know, how do we see it from a, def, you know, a defender's view a practitioner's view? Um, and we started talking about a couple other things and why is it so successful? And you just want to follow up on that for us?
2: Yeah, sure. So you know, we 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 talked about why it's popular for the attackers, uh, the impunity and the cash, and then from the defensive perspective, we talk about how it's opportunistic. You know, we we've, we've kind of blasting, or these malware actors are are blasting files all over the place and trying to cast a net to capture folks to go deeper. You know, if you if you look at at some of the things that are working, part of it's certainly hygiene, right? Like it, it it's neat. Um, there's different actors, there's groups behind these things, right? It's criminal enterprise. So there's some org structure to it. And one of these groups, their name is Conti, C-O-N-T-I. Recently, they had their playbook. You know, essentially the, the malware gang's technical manuals were just leaked to the general public. You had a disgruntled, lower-level uh, person who's part of this campaign who just kind of doxed themselves, you know, revealing all the tooling and whatnot. And, you know, a lot of this stuff has already been forensically... Uh, discovered and tracked by threat uh, threat intel analysts all around the world. You know, they'll look at these campaigns and they'll figure out the tactics, techniques, and procedures that these guys are using. And so when they go into an incident response situation, they'll see some of these TTPs and be like, oh, this is Conti, or this is this other group. But it was neat to see it the other way around, you know, not reverse engineered, but like, here's the actual playbook. And so you look at these manuals, you know, they're using legit tools, like any desk for remote access uh, control You know, Cobalt Strike, which is a legitimate tool that red uh, red testing teams uh, uh, will use. Uh, Ngroc for for tunneling, you know, RDP for remote access. And if you look at at one of the bugs that they use, um, it's a year old bug. You know, zero login. CVE 2020 1472 is a Windows vulnerability that the Conti gang is using that once they get that initial foothold, which could be some like basic phishing attack or just sending someone a document with a macro in it. Right, as you mentioned earlier these aren't the most sophisticated um, you know fancy attacks you're not talking about like Stuxnet operators here um, and so you know you got to ask like this is a year old bug uh, you know why haven't these organizations been able to patch themselves internally to improve their resilience to prevent this kind of thing from happening they certainly know the risk is out there
1: yeah so it comes down on basic hygiene sometimes doesn't it I mean, the basics, I mean, I think like 89% of these, you know, uh, compromises, no matter if it's from ransomware or not, or, or some other um, malware or, or some other type of attack. I just think it's like basic hygiene a lot of the time, like 80, maybe 80% of the time can be prevented. And I think people with really good, strong cyber hygiene programs, then they're really focused and disciplined around it. Um, and they have the programmatic support you know, to support the execution. They're the ones who have this better defensive death posture. They are more resilient to these types of attacks. But what about society in general? Like, well, I mean, it's on TV. and Does anybody care? I mean, you know, what should we be doing? I mean, it doesn't seem like I mean, everyone's like ooh, and on and about, I guess, it comes on and news and it, it makes news. But does it really sway public opinion in any way to force change anywhere? I, I don't see that. Do you?
2: At least some of it has changed, right? Like in recent history, the U.S. government has started treating ransomware operators with the same level of priority as terrorism. You know, this colonial pipeline hack um, in the Northeast that caused some fear and and gas um, uh, price increases, um, you know, they've recovered some of those dollars, right? The Justice Department, after the ransom was paid, they were able to pull some of those funds back. And so these are certainly some changes that, that should help. That was a big right? win, if, by the way. That was a big win. For right? sure, right? You got to add pain. Yeah. You got to take some profit away. Because yeah. otherwise, there's zero motivation for, for these kinds of threats to, to slow down. And from the society standpoint, you know, there's got to be pressure. right? It, to me, I, you know, and I, I find it interesting that we, as a society, are paying ransoms at all. You know, Growing up as, as a kid in the 80s, like there was always this this mantra of you know the U.S. does not negotiate with terrorists and like we never pay ransoms because you don't want to feed into this this ecosystem. And while I certainly understand like you know you're whatever the city of Atlanta, you're some healthcare company, you know you're in the middle of COVID, you got bigger problems to deal with. People's lives are on the line. You know it, it, the easier route might be just to play pay the ransom to get your systems back. You know, at this stage in the game, I think we've seen enough of this that it's time to start making other plans. Like. Paying the ransom is not the only way out of a ransom or attack. If you had a good backup, for example, you'd be able to get yourself out of it as well.
1: No doubt. No doubt. I mean, look, I, I kind of agree with you, man. I don't when I, when I hear that people are paying the ransom, I, and especially if they're a large organization that does have the resources, you know, to put these cybersecurity programs in place, uh, you know, to, to try to prevent the propagation of, of the malware from spreading, to try to respond to it in the appropriate way, to have the backups, the disaster recovery and business continuity plans in place, to have the testing in place, all these things. I mean, there's so many things that you can do uh, from a you know in a, from a cybersecurity perspective to you know defend against this type of thing. And um, I just don't see I see it happening in a lot of these places. A lot of I mean, especially the i mean the lawyers just seem to be fine with it um uh, and in some places uh, when i when I hear people talk on discussions and panels they seem to be fine with it and it's kind of they think you know it's strictly and they think very narrow-mindedly in terms of this is just a, a legal business a legal and business decision okay where are we from a business perspective what's the risk and then legally can can i can I do this um and then there's all kinds of opinions about you know, you know if you can be compliant, or if you're not, if you're not compliant, and then they have the whole compliance discussion and so on. But in the end, you really don't know who you're giving the money to. And you know, when I think back of even some of the like the ballet bombings and the London bombings, you know, they were funded by you know carters you know, making twenty five or fifty thousand dollars in profit, and then using that to fund some of these um, attacks. Like it's just, you know, it's just you you just don't know, you know, and 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 and, and you know. God forbid if you ever found out that you you know that you funded some type of you know terrorist attack or something that really hurt some people maybe people even die um, you know that would be a terrible thing. Um, so I just think you know to do whatever you can in 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 your business whatever you possibly can to prepare yourself for this to get you know to get away from it or to actually to you know to be resilient against these types of attacks uh, and not put yourself in that position in the first place. Right? Don't put yourself in that position in the first place um so what about the uh, the organization uh, itself let's keep going like you know let's talk let's talk about maybe get into a little bit i'm sorry you going to say something no no go ahead go ahead. yeah let's talk about some of these hardening measures that we can take to uh thwart these kinds of attacks um let's uh let's I, i you know i hit on a few of them but they were really sort of you know high level in general so let's let's dig a little bit
2: deeper what say you about this yeah sure i mean look we started with hygiene right if you can keep your your systems up to date, uh, that'll certainly improve your your resilience. You know, basic things that we know, like two-factor, is something that if you're a large company, and you're at risk, you know, your industry is being targeted by ransomware, so you know that that attack is at the door, right? These are hardening things that you should be doing. You know, another one is, is restrictive policies. You know, my uh, uh, business partner, Mike arkhamon ran the, the Pentagon's Computer and Response Team for 15 years and He's been, he's been saying the same thing forever. He's like, you got to take the decisions out of the hands of the user because in the end, they're the weakest link. It's incredible to me what kinds of content and what kind of privileges on their system they're allowed to receive this content. If you find that you are on the hit list, there are things you can do to protect your users, prevent them from interacting with the kind of content that ends up resulting in an infection that then spreads laterally and becomes your, you know, your ransomware attack. But look, if we're gonna dive into it um, even further, I would say there's, there's three levels, right? Uh, maybe we go from like reactive to proactive, right? So reactive, assume that the ransomware has already been deployed, right? If you've got a backup, you can restore your whole ecosystem, right? In such a situation, your choice is now, if you're comparing a dollar for dollar, how much is it going to cost me to pay this ransom? How much does it cost me to restore my entire ecosystem from backup? You know and of course, this isn't foolproof in every sense of the word. You know perhaps your backups also got compromised because you' you know all these as these guys are moving laterally, they're able to to pop your backup systems as well. Uh, but that's probably the most reactive um, measure I can I can think of. You know, if we move up uh, the timeline, you know, perhaps between when the initial entry has been gained by these attackers, but before they've done that lateral movement and eventual locking of your of your files. Um, you know, detecting that lateral movement might be able to prevent the actual ransomware from hitting in the first place, right? Though this is a little bit more complex, you know, there's a time limitation here, requires a little more of an advanced team. Uh, this is where threat intelligence can play a really good role, you know, these. Folks in in the TI space are doing a good job enumerating the infrastructure that these folks are using for operating these campaigns. So even if you don't have the capability of, um, you know, having the, 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 the tuning specificity to prevent some of these attacks from coming in, perhaps you can at least detect the communication with the known command and control infrastructure associated with randomware, so that you can isolate the infected systems before they have an opportunity to you know, spread like wildfire.
1: Yeah. And detect the exfiltration of data too. So they don't, you know, you don't get a double whammy there. Right. So they got to yeah, release yeah, your absolutely. data. Yeah. And then they put time constraints on you and say, okay, if you don't give us the money by Wednesday, we're going to release all your information. And by the way, when you pay the ransom, you know, if you do pay the ransom, there's nothing to say that they won't release the information anyway. I mean, they usually don't because that would ruin the business model, but you never know.
2: Yeah. You yeah, or who else they've given it to, or, you know, where it's being stored for future usage, it's digital.
1: Right, right. So you don't know. Um, yeah,
2: yeah so, so we've got, so, so you got I, reactive. I've, I've already been owned. I got a backup. You've got a little bit more, less reactive, a little more proactive. They're in, but they haven't deployed yet. I'm going to stop them from spreading, stop the cancer from spreading. And then, you know, probably, in my opinion, at least, that the best thing you do is put a bigger wall up front. You know, stop the people who are looking for a foothold. To use that analogy with, you know, you don't have to be faster than a bear. You got to be faster than everybody else running away from the bear or at least the slowest person running away from right, the right, bear. Right, right. <laughs> if you assert that these guys are targeting industries, um, so long as you don't fall victim to the amount of time they've dedicated to attacking your industry, you know, that wave will pass um, until the next one. So if you can stop it at, at the foreground, like don't let these attackers talk to your users, whether it's through, you know, phishing or, or whatever. Uh, so I think stacking defense is there. You know, if you look at you know, average enterprise is probably on Microsoft 0365, you know, a lot of them have advanced threat protection enabled. And even with all those bells and whistles, there's still like a 10% gap. You know, there's actually someone we cover uh, with this Tristero project. You know, we're measuring this every single day. Just take all the stuff that we see in the wild, many of which leads to ransomware, feed it through a bunch of accounts that we control and see who's good at blocking what. So, you know, add more there, add a secure email gateway, you know, add a product like Inquest, stack it up to the point that you've drastically reduced the amount of content that's reaching your users who are over 90% of the time, that's where it begins. Some user has been coerced into interacting with a website or an email or a file that they should have never been interacting with.
1: So tell me a little bit more about that. I know we talked about Tristera in the beginning of the show. Um, how does that tie into to, to the ransomware discussion that we're having right now?
2: Yeah, sure. All right. So, you know, a, a, again, the, the vast majority of these attacks, they start with an email. Some, right. Somewhere down the line, someone got an email that they either clicked on a link and entered their credentials into a, you know, a fake um, login and those creden- harvested credentials were, were used to then get a foothold or they interacted with some some file that was was sent to them. And so, you know, for us as a small company, the only way for us to compete with the big boys is to be laser focused on solving a gap, right? We were born out of gap analysis. So we decided to apply that same logic. Let's go see where the, where, where the holes are, where the, where the faults are in the most commonly deployed um, technologies. And that's what the Tristero project is entirely about. Right, we, we, from multiple locations, we're looking at a few million files a day and we leverage our own um, you know, machine learning stacks and, and product to dog food and isolate what we know to be known real world malware that's emerging and evasive in the sense that it can buy, it can at least get to your email spool if you're a Google or Microsoft customer. You know, from there, that allows us to see what these campaigns operators are doing and they change their tactics, you know, over time. But by focusing on the portion of it that we know is successful, it's a much smaller uh, challenge for us to track. And if anybody's interested, you can go check out all this data. We we just published it, you know, uh, this blackout earlier this month. If you go to labs.inquest.net, there's a big tile there called Trastero and you can dig through the graphs and you can see them comparing over time. Um, you know, it's neat, but, but to do this, the key is you've got to pull in data at scale. Like, you've got to really get a, a good statistical sampling of the malware corpus that's just out there.
1: And what, in, this, in, in terms of the scale, would are we talking, millions here?
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, you, you need to be looking at an order of, of, of millions of samples, um, which what, hands, what happens there is that'll get pruned down, right? If you look at the stats, for example, on, um, on that Tristero page, you know, we're not pumping a million samples through Microsoft and Google every day. You know, we take those million samples, we de- deduplicate them. A lot of them are just different iterations of the same exact threat. can't deduplicate it perfectly, uh, but it, we reduce it from, you know, millions to a couple thousand a day that actually we use for testing. And yeah, so you, take, you start with millions of samples that you collate from, you know, all over the world you know, some are, are open source sources, some are crawling, you know, some are through partnerships, some are internal, uh, but then you distill this down to, you know, maybe a couple thousand a day when you deduplicate, you know, the, the various copies of the malware. And then we'll take that and we feed this through the, the Microsoft and, and, and Google pipes that we've set up to see which ones go through. And in the end, we end up with, you know, typically dozens of samples that we know are capable of that day being able to reach the user's inbox. And So that's where we focus our efforts. That's what we look at and that's the purpose of the Tristero project is to surface the samples that you should be focusing your attention on because you know they're capable of reaching your users.
1: So this is pretty interesting. How do you choose the samples?
2: it's a good question. You know, um, we, we look at everything, um, all, all sorts of file types. So executables, documents, scripts and archives, you know, one of the newer things that folks are doing is instead of sending phishing URLs inside an email body, they'll put it inside of a file, right? That's bypassing any security product that's doing like URL rewriting of URLs within the email. That's not gonna apply to with URLs that are inside the actual file attachments. So attackers are kind of stuffing their indicators deeper into layers that make it a little bit more difficult for for folks to see as it's, you know, going across the wire, so to speak.
1: So what kind of outcome are you looking for here? Like what, what is, the, what is the, the desired outcome or, you know, or what are, you know, what are the, what does a typical
2: outcome look like? Yeah, I mean, basically, yeah. So one of the natural questions that folks always ask me as, as an initial question, when I tell them about this experiment is who's better, right? Is, is Microsoft better or is Google better? And I can give, it's hard to answer this question. You'll see while I'll dive into it, but I can give one definitive answer. If you're looking to set up a free email account for you know a less technical person, your parents, grandparents, whoever, I would go with a Gmail over a free Outlook.com because by far Google's security is is better out of the box for free uh, accounts. In fact, Google's what's available for free from Google is comparable to what is available from Microsoft with their advanced threat protection added on top of it, which is a pay for a service. So typically, when I'm asked about this, I'm comparing Google to Microsoft with ATP, which is kind of unfair because one is free and one is additional cost, but that's what I'm generally looking at. And it's different between the two. Like Microsoft is better at blocking malicious office documents. Google is better at blocking malicious Java and PDF files. All right, so even though the volume of protection in terms of the number of threats that can get through to you if you've got O365 with ATP, versus if you're like um, you know, on, on a Google tenant, Google Workspace or G Suite, whatever they're calling it now, they love to rename this thing. Less volume overall will reach you if you're on the Microsoft stack. But if you're in an environment where PDFs and Java is more heavily used, you're probably better off on the Google side, at least when you're comparing out of the box, Google v. Microsoft.
1: All right, folks, we gotta take another short break to hear from our sponsors, but don't go away. We'll be right back with our special guest, the Chief Technology Officer of Inquest, Mr. Pedram Amini. You're listening to
3: Task Force 7 Radio, the
1: voice of cybersecurity.
3: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice
5: With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Synet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community, advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Cynet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Synet's global community to empower your organization And the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at security-innovation.org or Google Cynet. S I N E T.
6: In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate in business. Staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management.
0: You're listening to Task force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at Taskforce7Radio.com. Again, that's Task47 with the number seven radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Ritas.
1: Welcome back to Task Force Seven Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with our special guest, the Chief Technology Officer for inquest Mr. Pedram Amini. So you're talking about testing Google and Microsoft, but but not with any additional security services on top. And what about the folks out there that want to measure their their specific gap uh, where their full stack of email security mitigations are in play, that type of thing?
2: Yeah, you yeah, know it's a. I mean, not only is that a good question, but it's one that I've heard many times um, in talking about this. And it's actually because of that, that we ended up implementing um, an automated daily security control check based off of this data. So, you know, if you look at this as three phases, right? One is curation every day, pull in the the data from the field, uh, all the samples from the field, you know, stage two is testing, see which ones get through the providers. Then this next level of stage three is, all right, well, now that we know it gets through, let's test this for any individual person's um, corporate security account, right? Just give me an email address, the forwarding rule, and I'll I'll hook this test up to it. So it's it's just a natural progression of the dialogue that we've had on on this this Tristero project. So what happens is at the end of that, we will produce a daily report, right? So if you want to see, all right, of the subset of today's daily malware harvest, that can get by my provider and get by me and all the bells and whistles and things I put in between, uh, we'll provide a report on that daily. So things like what are the file types that are making it through? Is it documents or is it executables? Is it zip files? Um, what are the labels or the heuristics behind those detections? Is it macro-borne malware? Is it remote access Trojans? Is it ransomware? And you know, finally, what's the best uh, AV or EDR product that might've helped you close that day's particular gap? Right, So if we discovered that 50 samples can get by Microsoft and then we send all those 50 to you and 30 of them get through uh, based off of your security stack, of those 30, you know, maybe Symantec or Avast had the best overlapping coverage. So that might've been the best play for that company to have as, as a backup.
1: So what's the next step you take from there typically? Like how's this all play out? What's, what's the end game?
2: Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, we... We started this, we started labs as we just needed to, right? We, we had to build this apparatus to be able to, to deal with malware at scale. And then we decided to open up a, a big portion of it to the just general public, you know, kind of crowdsourcing, giving back to colleagues. We had like a hundred guys in the Slack channel all playing with this thing and, you know, trading notes and all that. Uh, but, you know, in the end, of course, this is a business. So when you take that and then you demonstrate to someone what their gap looks like, you know, obviously the next course of conversation that we hope to have is well you know how can you guys help and you know typically from there we can do a pilot with someone for as little as a, a single mailbox you know we're not a secure email gateway so not we'll to change mx records and make this massive network control change um you know it's very simple api based installation you can add a single user and just take a look at it you know there, there's two things that we'll do typically Um, when we start, we don't like to block emails. We like to just decorate emails. We'll add like a colored banner to the top of it. You know, trying to be like a a security guy on your shoulder. Like I'll get an email and I'll just look at the domain name or just look at the spelling or look at the fidelity of it. And in an instant, I know this is something I shouldn't be interacting with, but non-security practitioners don't have that like sixth sense when it comes to it. So we try and give that to them by way of a colored, like traffic light banner at the top of it. But beyond that, you know, once the customer is comfortable with, with what we're doing in terms of bannering, you know, we like to turn on uh, blocking. You know, again, going back to Mike's quote, you got to take the decision out of the user's hand. The best way to do that is to not deliver the email to them, not just give them a warning about it.
1: Right, right. Well, brother, we're out of time. Uh, this was, went, went real fast. Uh, you know, we probably went over a little bit, but that's okay. Uh, it's my show. I'm doing it a lot. But I appreciate you. Uh, <laughs> that's awesome. Appreciate you coming on, man. And uh You know, I hope you come back again. we got to get some panels going. we got to get some panels going, maybe maybe at a conference or something. Um, But, yeah, we'll talk about it. Uh, But uh, I really appreciate it. Thanks for coming on.
2: All right. Thank you very much. Always a pleasure.
1: All right, folks, it's time to go. But before I do, I want to remind our listeners to visit the Cybersecurity Hub to read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at www.cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at Cshub.com. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Stay frosty out there.
0: Thank you for tuning in this week to Task Force 7 Radio. To learn more about Task Force 7 Radio, please visit our website at taskforce7radio.com. Be sure to join your host, George Reedus, again next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel.